0: We had a very significant day in the currency and gold markets yesterday. In fact, I almost recorded the podcast yesterday, but maybe it's even better today because we had some good follow through today and it really buttresses the point that I want to make. And what happened was we got some economic news that was released yesterday that would have been considered bullish for the dollar and bearish for gold by most of the people, or pretty much all of the people, probably other than me, you know, who trade currencies and who trade gold. But the fact that gold did not sell off or the dollar did not rally was very significant. Now, the news that we got was the CPI and retail sales. First of all, I'll go over retail sales. They came out at the same time, but retail sales came out stronger than expected. They were looking for a gain of 0.1 and we got a gain of 0.4 and they actually revised prior months gain from up 0.6 to up one now a lot of the gain in retail sales though has to do with the fact that prices are higher right? because retail sales are not adjusted for inflation so if prices are going up that means retail sales may be going up particularly up like you look at things for like gasoline right? gas prices people buy about the same amount of gas whether the price goes up or not And so if gas prices go up, then that is going to contribute to higher retail sales. But it's not just the price of gas that's going up. The price of everything is going up. The CPI came out at the same time as retail sales. And that, I think, is the bigger number. We got a 0.6% rise in uh, consumer prices. That's versus the 0.3% that had been expected. And even the core, right, if you take out food and energy, We were up 0.3 there versus an estimate of 0.2. Year over year, CPI is now up 2.5%. Now, that's the official number. Obviously, prices are going up a lot faster than that. But according to the government, they're going up at 2.5%. Even if you take out food and energy and just look at the core, year over year, the change is 2.3%. Now, remember, the Fed is saying their target is 2%. And when Janet Yellen testified this week, she said that she's confident that we're going to hit her objective. Well, we're already surpassed her objective. The objective is two and we're at two and a half. And if you just look at the core, we're at two point three. And of course, if you take that six tenths of a percent gain from January, what if we have six tenths of a percent every year from now to the end of the year? I mean, what is that, 8% inflation? I'm not even sure. I didn't, I didn't do the math to compound it, but obviously that is a very, very high number. Now, as a result of this number, Goldman Sachs, which had early, earlier in the week, and I mentioned this in my last podcast, had moved the probability of a March rate hike from 15% to 20% based on Janet Yellen's testimony. Yesterday increased the probability from 20% to 30%, Based on the higher CPI, but based on a CPI number this high with interest rates this low, the probability should be 100 percent. The Fed should raise interest rates for sure if they really cared about inflation. In fact, they wouldn't even wait to March. They would raise them right now. They would have raised them the day this number came out and they need to raise by more than a quarter point. The fact that there's only a 30% probability of a quarter point rate hike when you just printed a six tenths of a percent increase in consumer prices in January, two and a half percent year over year, and the Fed still got interest rates at a half a percent to 75 basis points. Obviously, all the people who are talking about the Fed potentially falling behind the curve have missed the obvious fact that they fell behind the curve years ago. And this is a big acceleration in inflation. But what I said that was very important was the market reaction. The knee-jerk reaction was exactly what you would expect. Gold sold off about 10 bucks, and the dollar index rallied. Big rally in the dollar index. But the rally in the dollar didn't hold. The dollar index closed negative on the day, and then it dumped today. It was down uh, closer to a full percent or 70, uh, and gold which ended up rallying yesterday, rallied again today, we closed out just under 1240 an ounce for the price of gold. And when you have a market that won't go up on good news, meaning infla- higher inflation and a higher probability of a rate hike, right, that is good news for the dollar. And the dollar didn't go up, it went down. And then it went down even more today. The opposite with gold. Gold, did not go down on bad news. Higher inflation, the way everybody else other than me has been spinning it, is that higher inflation is bad for gold because it means we're going to get rate hikes. And gold went up. So when a market doesn't go down on bad news, it's going up. And when a market doesn't go up on good news, it's going down. So meaning the dollar going down and gold is going up. And what I think people are finally going to figure out is it doesn't matter if the Fed hikes rates because it's too little too late. Inflation is accelerating faster than the rate hikes, and as long as the Fed stays behind the curve, it will fall further and further behind the curve because these tiny increases in interest rates spread out over months will not do anything to slow down the acceleration in the rate of inflation. So The Fed is going to fall further and further behind the curve as it raises rates. And there's no way that I think they're going to accelerate and actually deliver more rate hikes than the market expects because they don't want to have to deal with the aftermath in the stock market, in the bond market, in the economy. And also, I think people are going to start to figure out that higher inflation is bad for the dollar. I mean, the idea that higher inflation is good for the dollar is asinine. What is higher inflation? It means the dollar is losing purchasing power. Prices are going up, so the dollar is buying less. So inflation is bad for the dollar because it means the dollar is losing value. The only way that traders were able to concoct this crazy explanation was that the higher inflation would result in an effort on the part of the Fed to fight the inflation, to stop it. Right. And it would do that by aggressively raising rates. So that was the idea. Oh, we have more inflation. Now the Fed really has to raise rates to rein it in. And it was the higher rates that were causing people to want to buy the dollar. But when people realize that even if the Fed raises rates, it won't be enough to slow down the acceleration of inflation. And so that the dollar will continue to lose purchasing power despite the increase in interest rates. And even though interest rates are rising, they will still be below the rate of inflation. So interest rates will still be negative. All of this is very negative for the dollar. It is bearish for the dollar and it is bullish for gold. Again, the flip side of this crazy argument was that higher inflation was bad for gold. That is absurd. Higher inflation is exactly why people want to own gold. Now, if you believe that Janet Yellen is going to channel Paul Volcker and gold medieval on the markets, right, jack interest rates way up and fight inflation, well, then you can make an argument that it could be bearish for gold. But there isn't a snowball's chance in hell that that's what she's going to do. She is going to allow the inflation to get worse. Just just watch. They're going to be talking about this. They're still going to be talking about trying to achieve their objective of 2%, even though inflation is well above 2%. And then they're going to start to say, well, you know, it's only a month or now it's only two months. We need to we need to make extra certain that this trend is really going to stay because we're worried. You know, what if we get some lower numbers? And then they're going to start talking about, well, you know, we were below two percent for so long. We can be above two percent for a while just to balance it out. I mean, how high is it going to go? Four, five, six, seven before the Fed actually has to acknowledge that they've got a problem, they're still in denial. But this is just early, what's happening in the markets now. And I think that these trends now, up in gold, down in the dollar, are just going to accelerate. And it doesn't matter whether or not the Fed raises rates in March or not, right? Because the probability of a hike went up, and the dollar went down, and gold went up anyway. So even if the Fed hikes, it's not going to matter. And of course, what if they don't hike? Right. What if they don't raise rates? And I think what's really going to happen, I've been saying this all along, is this recovery, this phony recovery is going to end. Right. And we're going to be back in an official recession. The unemployment rate is going to move up. It's not going to stay down at this low level. People are going to try to re-enter the labor force. There aren't going to be jobs there. Unemployment is going to go up. Layoffs are coming. And what is the Fed going to do? Is the Fed going to jack up rates in the face of a weakening economy and rising unemployment? Not a chance. They have to decide, right? They have to pick which battle they're going to fight. And what is the politically popular battle to fight? Unemployment, right? A weakening economy. You're not going to say, you know, we don't care about unemployment. We don't care about the economy. We're just going to raise rates because inflation is too high. They're never going to say that especially since the Fed believes that there's a trade-off. They believe in the Phillips curve. They actually think that allowing there to be more inflation is going to help the job market. They think it's going to help the economy. As far as they're concerned, inflation is the goose that lays the golden eggs. So why do they want to kill it, right? They don't understand the real dynamics, or to the extent that they do, the last thing they're going to do is level with the American public, and especially with the Trump administration and the Republican Congress, I mean, they're not going to want to take the punch bowl away from the Republicans when they kept it, you know, filled to the brim under the Democrats. I mean, imagine the, you know, what the reaction would be if Janet Yellen tried to raise rates into a weakening economy, into a rising interest rate. I mean, that would enable the Republicans or Trump to blame the Fed. For the problem, say, oh, this is all political. You would never be doing this if it was a Democrat, if it was Hillary Clinton, or if Barack Obama was still there. I mean, you provided all the stimulus, and now what? Just because I'm here, you're trying to, you know, put the blame on me by by raising rates. So there's no reason to think that the Fed would respond to the higher interest rates by raising rates aggressively. But if they did. If the Fed did raise rates aggressively, we would be in a massive recession. The stock market would crash. The bond market would crash. The real estate market would crash. We would be in another financial crisis. And then what is the Fed going to do? Nothing. I mean, they're just going to let everybody collapse. There's going to be no bailouts the next time we have a financial crisis. There's going to be no stimulus. Does anybody believe that? No. So even if they raise rates, they're going to have to take it all back because now they're going to be in another financial crisis. Meanwhile, we continue to see surging gold stocks. Nobody is talking about it. I said this on my last podcast it's not climbing a wall of worry, it's climbing a wall of obscurity. Nobody has even noticed that gold stocks are climbing this wall, which is fantastic. I mean, we don't even have any big updates. I mean, we just we just go up, although some of the stocks had good earnings today. Barrick Gold was up about 6% today, so was Gold Corp up about 6%. So a couple of gold stocks had better than expected earnings, so they were up a lot more than the group. Uh, but in general, just even if you look at the GDX, you know, eked out another 1% gain today. Uh, the GDXJ, 1.5%. Again, you know, these up up every day, yet all the reports are about the Dow, The Dow actually managed to gain again today, what, eight points. So I guess it's another record close, although the transports, although actually they were only down about 80. They rallied near the close. They were down 100 most of the day. I think there was a bad earnings report out of one of the car rental companies, which were down quite a bit. They were down about 100 points, which, you know, that's going to get worse because there's this auto bubble. There is going to be a collapse in used car prices, and that's a big problem for these rental car companies that have a lot of cars that they need to sell. So weekday there. And the financials, Finally, had a down day today. I mean, they weren't down a lot, uh, but this is an accident waiting to happen in the financials. But, you know, they're going to talk about the stock market oh, a new record high in the Dow. They're not going to talk about what's going on in the gold stocks, and they're not going to talk about what's going on in emerging markets. I mean, there are emerging market stocks uh, that I own that are up 20, 30, 40% this year. They're not even gold stocks, right? They're just stocks in emerging markets. That is what's going on right now outside the United States. And these stocks are coming from ridiculously low prices. So even though they're up a lot, even though they're up so much more than the US stock market, I think they still have a lot more upside to go because they're still cheap. I mean, we're just starting bull markets in some of these emerging markets. We are ending a bull market in the United States. So the upside potential is minimal in the US relative to the downside risk. And I think the only way the US stock market does continue to rise is if the dollar continues to fall. And so in real terms, the market's going to go down, and so people are just going to be operating under a delusion that their portfolios are gaining in value when they're actually going to be losing purchasing power. The real way to gain purchasing power is going to be to invest internationally, to invest in uh, foreign countries, foreign markets, the right sectors, and to be in these commodity stocks. And again, it's not just gold. All these commodities are going higher as the dollar goes down. And that's another reason why the emerging markets are going to do well, because a lot of them are exporters of commodities. But also, a lot of these countries have dollar-denominated debt. And as the U.S. dollar falls that is a huge relief it reduces the burden of servicing and repaying these debts so this these bull markets are starting they're starting in obscurity nobody's paying attention they're all paying attention to the bull market that's that's dying and they're not paying attention to the new ones that are being born i also want to talk a little bit about the uh, second day of janet yellen's uh, testimony this time before the house and a couple of very interesting conversations took place One of them had to do with labor force participation. Finally, somebody called her out on this. I mean, she was out there saying, well, you know, the labor force participation rate is down because of the retirement of the baby boom. We have an older population. And so that's why labor force participation is down. And I've been saying for years when she was saying this and when Bernanke was saying this, that they were full of it because I know that the one demographic group where labor force participation is rising is over 55 it's the older people people in their 70s and 80s who are working like never before they're broke they can't afford to retire the decline in labor force participation is happening with people in their 20s and 30s so that's not because of retirement these people aren't retiring they never even got started that they, they, you know they never even got their first job so Janet Yellen tried this BS and this congressman called her out on it and said exactly what I said, only not as strong. He said, "Wait a minute! It's the older people that are working more than ever. Uh, so what you're saying isn't true." And he pointed to some study, some academic study that just came out of, I guess, some college. Maybe it was Harvard. I forget where it was, or maybe it was, uh, maybe it was um, from a, a newspaper. But hey, I didn't even need to do an academic study. I've been saying this for years. You didn't need to wait for that study. I mean, maybe you know, maybe maybe he's uh, listened to the Peter Schiff show. Uh, over the years and knows about it that way. But she just glossed over it. She didn't even acknowledge that she was wrong. And then another congressman pointed it out too. He, he, he called her out on the same thing. And, you know, she didn't even go back and correct herself. She still sticks to her, her, her script that the fall in the labor force participation rate is due to the baby boom retiring, even though they're not retiring, even though they're working uh, in the highest percentages ever. It's young people. And then she was even more clueless when she was talking about household formation uh, and the real estate market and why young people are not forming households. And she mentioned that this was, you know, a problem, that young people were living with their parents and they weren't going out and, and forming households. They weren't buying their own house. And she said that this was happening despite the fact that unemployment is very low and job growth is very high and so she didn't have an explanation because she was asked, you know, why is this happening? And she was like, well, you know, we don't know. And, you know, and it's curious because it's happening, even though we have such low unemployment and, and, and you know, all this job growth. Well, she is completely clueless. The reason the reason that the job growth and the low unemployment are not helping people move out from their parents' basements is because the jobs stink. These are low paying jobs. These are part time jobs. She just doesn't get that. She's scratching her head trying to figure out why all these kids are still living with their parents because there's all these jobs. Does she not realize what these jobs pay? Does she not realize how many hours people actually get to work? And also a lot of these young kids are buried under a mountain of student debt. Whose fault is that? Government encouraged them to take on all this debt. The Fed made it easy by keeping rates low. And so that's another reason that young people can't move out of the house. Because even if they have a job, they're spending all their money repaying their loans. And with what's left over, they can't afford the increase in the cost of rent, which maybe Janet Yellen is oblivious to, too, because the CPI just focuses on owner's equivalent rent, which is some completely nonsense number that means nothing because the owners, you, you can't actually pay owner's equivalent rent. The actual rents are going up. But, you know, the Fed doesn't acknowledge that because of the way it keeps track of the statistics. But I thought it was very interesting that she has no idea why this is happening because she's clueless. Also, she was asked a question about why U.S. productivity growth is so slow. And again, she didn't know. Of course she doesn't know. I mean, it's partially her fault. In fact, the Fed is one of the main reasons why productivity is growing so slowly. But the Fed acknowledges it. But but they're clueless as to why it happens. And, of course, some of these congressmen were trying to say, well, couldn't it be that one of the reasons that productivity growth is so low is because of all these regulations? And she didn't really want to acknowledge that. But then later she said, well, she is concerned about the cost of regulations and she would try to help work to reduce that. But she didn't think that economic growth would be much higher or even higher at all if we just had fewer regulations, which really didn't want to make sense, because I just don't think she wanted to validate the deregulation that Trump is talking about. and She didn't want to throw Obama under the bus by trying to say that we would have had stronger economic growth if we would have had... Less, uh, less regulation. But of course, what nobody bothered to point out is that artificially low interest rates are undermining our productivity because we are diverting resources from real capital investment because we are discouraging actual savings. And instead, we're fuel- fueling speculative bubbles on Wall Street and we're propping up the government. We're enabling the government to keep on borrowing and spending. If we had higher interest rates, the government would have to stop spending and that would free up resources for actual capital investment, which would result in higher productivity, rising real wages and a higher standard of living. Janet Yellen is one of the main reasons that we don't have a higher productivity growth. And she is clueless about that, just like she's clueless to the fact that these young people living at home, even though they have jobs, the jobs don't pay enough to afford to rent your own, uh, your own apartment. Another important development on the week, Labor uh, Sec- Party Secretary nominee, Andrew Puzder. And he is probably, probably the best appointee right? that I think that Trump came up with. I mean, when it comes to the Labor Department, I mean, next to just getting rid of the Department of Labor, which is what we should do, we shouldn't have one. But to the extent that we're going to have one, a guy like Puzder is exactly who you need, a guy that actually employed people. Right. He he is a CEO of uh, Carl's Jr. and Hardee's. Right. They employ a lot of people. They employ a lot of low skilled people. They provide a lot of entry level jobs. He understands the problem that government is creating for workers when they try to get jobs. In fact, he had been very critical of the minimum wage law, which is the main reason that he couldn't get nominated. And he had to pull out because you have a bunch of gutless Republicans who are afraid to confirm this guy. Because, you know, he's against the minimum wage. And I hear all these uh, left, uh, 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 you know, congressmen or senators saying, oh, this is the worst labor department nominee ever because he's so anti-labor. He's not anti-labor. He is pro-labor. The minimum wage law, that's anti-labor. What does the minimum wage law do? It says to workers, there is a minimum price at which you are legally allowed to sell your labor. It limits workers and their ability to sell the only asset they have, their own labor. And so if the minimum wage is is $7.25, what the government says is you need to convince somebody to hire you for at least $7.25, which means you need to be able to deliver $7.25 worth of productivity before we'll let you sell your labor. So if you can only deliver $5 worth of productivity— You can't get a job. You cannot sell your labor for $5 an hour. You have to get $7.25 an hour. And if they raise that to $10 an hour or $15 an hour, if the government says you can't sell your labor unless you can get $15 an hour, that's going to price a lot of people out of jobs. A lot of workers will be unable to sell their labor because they don't have enough productivity. They cannot create enough value for an employer to get $15 an hour. Maybe they, can, maybe they have enough value to get $5 an hour, but the government says, no, you can't do that. And that is terrible for labor because if my productivity is only worth $5 an hour, what do I need? I need a job so I can increase my productivity. I need to make myself more valuable to employers. And you know how you do that? You get a job, any job, regardless of how low it pays because where you get skills is on the job. The way you make yourself more valuable to your employer is by working for your employer and learning on the job, learning the skills, learning the responsibilities, and then you can earn more money. But if the government makes that illegal, then you're never going to do that. So Andrew Puzzer actually understood this. He understood this. He would have been the best friend that labor could have had because he feels their pain. He understands the source of their pain is government. So he wasn't anti labor, he was pro labor. Now you could say, is he anti big labor, organized labor? Yes, right? Labor unions love the minimum wage because it keeps out low skilled competition, right? So, yes, big labor. Organized labor that represent people that make three or four times the minimum wage, right? People working for these labor unions make it 20, 25, $30 an hour. Yeah, they love the minimum wage, right? But average workers, average people who don't have jobs, the minimum wage is the biggest reason they don't have them. And so Andrew Putzer would have been probably the first labor secretary who actually could have worked to the benefit of labor. Like what benefits labor? More jobs right? How do you create jobs? Stop punishing people for hiring people. Stop. You know, I said this all the time that the the worst thing you can do in America is hire somebody. The minute you start employing people, you're public enemy number one. There's all sorts of regulations aimed against you. There's all sorts of ways you can get fined, you can get sued, right? So we make it, we create an incentive not to hire people. Or if you're going to hire people, hire as few people as you can possibly get away with. Try to outsource, right? So what, Puzzer might have done is recognized all the problems that government has created for labor and tried to mitigate that damage. But now it's not going to happen because too many Republicans were afraid to go back to their constituents and say, yeah, I voted for a guy who's against the minimum wage. And I know there was also something about he had a a, a nanny that might have been illegal. I mean, that's, I mean, that's happened to a lot of people, and some of them have been approved. And I guess he had to pay some back taxes on, on that. But... That's not the real issue. The real issue is the fact that he had the guts to tell the truth about the damage that the minimum wage law does. And because so many politicians don't have the guts to stand up for the truth when it comes to their constituents, he's not going to be the labor secretary. Final thought on uh, on this week. The IRS, following Donald Trump's, I guess, executive order to kind of minimize the burden of the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. The IRS says now that they're not going to be requiring people who fill out their tax returns to fill out the question as to whether or not they have insurance, and if they don't, uh, to pay the penalty. So basically the penalty tax, whatever you want to call it, is not going to be enforced. So now you have an even greater incentive not to buy health insurance. Because remember, I said this from the beginning. That for most young people, paying the penalty tax was cheaper than buying the insurance, which is the only reason the Supreme Court held it constitutional. They, they said, hey, the tax is so low that it's not really forcing anybody to do anything because you just, you know, you would just pay the tax or the penalty instead of buying insurance. Because what's the point of buying insurance if you're healthy? Now that insurance companies can't discriminate based on pre-existing conditions, you'd be an idiot if you're young if you went out and bought insurance because you're probably not going to get sick. And if you do get sick, well, it doesn't matter because you can go get your insurance after the fact because they can't discriminate against you for a pre-existing condition. Just like nobody would buy auto insurance if they said auto, auto companies have to give you insurance regardless of whether or not, you know, for accidents that have already taken place. If I can call up and say, hey, my car was just in a wreck, I'd like to buy your insurance policy. I mean, why would I buy in advance? Same thing with my fire insurance. If, if, if insurance companies, casualty companies couldn't discriminate based on a pre-existing condition, well, then the fact that my house already burnt down couldn't prevent me from buying fire insurance. So why buy it in advance? I mean, what's the odds of my house burning down? It's probably not going to burn down. So why waste my money paying all that premium when I could just go and buy the policy after the fact? Well, of course, if you could do that, nobody would buy fire insurance. And so there wouldn't be any fire insurance companies. The reason that health insurance companies can exist is because a bunch of healthy people pay premiums and they don't need the money because they don't get sick. That's the only reason that the sick can get paid is because the healthy people pay in and don't draw out. But, you know, what Obamacare does is it says, hey, if you're healthy, don't pay in. You're, you know, now they tried to convince you to pay in with a penalty, but the penalty was too low. And now the penalty is zero. And so what this is obviously going to do is accelerate the demise of Obamacare. Because now as more healthy people decide not to, not to buy the insurance because now there's no penalty at all. Now fewer people are going to buy insurance. And they're all going to be sick. And so now the cost of insurance is going, to, is going to rise even faster now than it was before. And that's going to cause even more people not to want to buy it. And it's just, again, it's going to spiral out of control and everything is just going to get a lot worse. And of course, the insurance companies, I mean, these they could be driven into bankruptcy if this happens. I know they have been making money before from Obamacare. But, you know, ultimately, they're going to fail if this continues. But of course, you know, Trump, they're talking about, we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare. It's the replacement part that I think is the problem. Because if they had simply been talking about repealing it, they could repeal it. But they can't replace it because now people expect something for nothing. Nobody expected to replace it with the free market. The Republicans and Donald Trump have got people to expect that the replacement will be better in that it will provide even more free health care for even less money. And that's impossible. So because they can't replace it, they may never repeal it, but they just knock the legs out from under it. So this whole thing is gonna collapse even quicker uh, than it would have had, you know, had the, the, the IRS not come out with this with this ruling.